Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo too. We've been working on one for 18 years, and, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo too. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I am Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. It is bedlam time, baby. And I did not think I'd be talking in those excited terms about bedlam back in September. But Colby, <laughs> we're here, man. I'm fired up. We're going to have our folks on the pod. Uh, juices are flowing. Bedlam juices are flowing. We are here. Um, yeah, it's it's not at the end of the season. It's the first week of November. And man, I just, I have so many mixed feelings about this game. Um, I love that it's here. I hate that it's here. I'm excited. I'm anxious. I think they're going to win. I think they're going to lose. I just, <laughs> it, it has been a roller coaster of emotions and it's only midweek. We've still got some time to kill before we get to Saturday at two 30, but the weather's going to be perfect. Boone picking stadium is going to be packed. Um, as anxious as I am, I just, I can't wait for it to get here. Yep, we're going to talk with, uh, as is tradition, we're going to talk with my dad about Bedlam and Colby's mom, get their thoughts, get the get the old's takes, and we had some gracious Twitter followers send us some questions as well for our folks, so we'll we'll dive into Bedlam's past as well as get their thoughts on this year's game, and that that should be a lot of fun. Uh, but Colby, let's just get into it. We, we'll, we'll, of course, get to the Christmas University Spirit Uniform Preview, we'll get to the Yingling Toast of the Week, and then we'll get to our, our folks, and then we'll get to the, of course... Or we'll get to our per- wait. I got the I got the order mixed up already. We'll do our predictions after our folks. I think is what the order we're going to go in. But nonetheless, we got a lot to get to, Colby. So let's just hop right in. I mean, we've talked a lot uh, in the days leading up to this podcast. Um, you wanted to just talk all bedlam last time we were <laughs> we were talking on the podcast. Uh, I said it at the end of the podcast, and I as we wrapped, I was like, was I too strong calling OSU the better team? And while I do think Oklahoma maybe from top to bottom has more talent, I think you, you could make that argument. I don't regret what I said. And let's just get into this game. I mean, Colby, you mentioned it as well. I mean, OU could be coming off a, a three-game losing streak. I mean, they had a great win against Texas, close game. Really probably should have lost the UCF game and then lost to Kansas. This is not the Oklahoma of Bob Stoops's heyday. This is not even the Oklahoma of Lincoln Riley's heyday that Oklahoma State's facing this week. No, it's not. This is not some sort of juggernaut. Uh, again, last year we said the same thing, and it was true a year ago. But a year ago, Oklahoma State was coming into this game so beat up. Uh, Spencer Sanders could barely lift his arm above his head, but he goes out there and plays. The first quarter is just an abject nightmare, complete and total disaster. Then after that, Oklahoma State kind of settled in. The final of that game was 28-13, to 13, um, and I think it was 28 to nothing early, early. So, um this is a much healthier Oklahoma State team. It's an Oklahoma State team with momentum. It's an Oklahoma State team, Carson. And this, I cannot emphasize enough going into Bedlam, and I can't believe I'm saying this. It is an Oklahoma State team with a locked-in identity on offense. We know exactly what this team is. We know exactly how they want to operate. Guess what? Defense is t- no two, and they haven't been able to stop it. Again, I-, I laughed at Cincinnati's run defense last week, and everybody telling me how great their run defense was. But they did have a really good run defense, and Ali ran for almost as many yards as their previous three opponents combined. So this is a, a healthy team with an identity 
Carson, how many times in the last decade has Oklahoma State gone into Bedlam uh, with a backup quarterback or with a quarterback fighting through injury, injuries all across the line? This is a much healthier Oklahoma State team than we've seen. This is an Oklahoma team dealing with some injuries. Danny Stutzman has an ankle. Brent Venables said today that he feels good about him, but they might not know until game time. Tawi Walker also hurt his ankle last week, the running back in Lawrence. So I don't know. These seem like two teams trending in opposite directions. And yet I look at the line and Oklahoma's favored by six. I look at the history. Oklahoma's won the last five bedlams in which they're coming in off of a loss. Oklahoma obviously has dominated the series in general. There's just so many things right now that say it's trending toward Oklahoma State. But then you look at the big picture, you zoom out a little bit to the macro, and it's like, okay, even when that's the case, things always tend to go Oklahoma's way. So um, this is... And and I feel like we say this a lot, but th- this Bedlam matchup is so intriguing, maybe the most intriguing of my lifetime, considering that it may be the last one um, in my lifetime outside of a potential bowl game or a playoff matchup or something like that. So um, I know that's a, a whole lot of, of thoughts in my brain that I just threw at you, Carson. But yeah, I'm just I'm turned around trying to predict what's going to happen on Saturday. Well, I'm, I'm so glad you brought up the injury situations. It's it's absolutely looming large on OU's end. You mentioned it. Danny Stutzman's the quarterback of their defense. I don't think he's going to be able to play. He's got a high ankle sprain. Uh, he might try to go, but he's not going to be the same player. Even if he does, they're, they're seemingly only running back who's had any success at all this year is a walk-on named Tawi Walker that you mentioned. He's going to be a game-time decision. And that's one thing that the history books, if I'm Mike Gundy, I'd be frustrated. That's one thing the history books will not note, that Mason Rudolph, broken foot, didn't play you know I, I don't need to go through all the court there's been so many quarterback injuries for Oklahoma State Zach Robinson down in Norman when they got shut out playing with one Spencer arm. twice Spencer twice goes into Bedlam hurt exactly uh, you, can, you can go even further I mean uh, just off the top of my head the 2014 year I believe I mean it's been OSU has really been on the bad end of some injury situations going into Bedlam over the years of Mike Gundy's tenure and that's something that has to be frustrating for him but much like the Oklahoma City Thunder when you know, Westbrook gets hurt in the first round of the playoffs. They don't win the title. The history books say they lost in the second, third round. Doesn't say they won the title. They don't. They don't care. So I don't care. No one's shedding any tears for Oklahoma having some injury situations here because it really has hurt Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. And I, I think that's one of the main reasons I was happy to see this game move to early November as opposed to the last game of the year because of that. Justin Blackman dragging his leg behind him. It was he was so injured, still had 100 yards. So that that's a key that's a key talking point going into this game. And OSU is relatively healthy. Uh, you wonder about Dalton Cooper; he's been beat up lately, but for the most part, in the receiver position, which we've mentioned on this show, that's worth talking about too. But but no, I, I think we should start Colby too. Just the the way Oklahoma State has made this recovery, and you, you touched on it, uh, their identity has really been borne out through the last four weeks. And we're going to talk with my dad. He and I have talked a lot about it. Uh, the, ditching the RPO with Alan Bowman, you know, Bowman wasn't great at it. Uh, it takes a certain type of quarterback to be able to read it. And it certainly takes a quarterback that can run it to really make defenses honest. I think ditching that, just saying, you know what? We're calling a run play, two number zero. And we're an offensive lineman. You are going to run block as hard as you can. And that's what we're doing. I think the element of the RPO has really hurt Oklahoma on the other side because you kind of get this stagnation where are we running? Are we throwing it? There's a lot of indecisiveness there. 
And I think it was a brilliant maneuver by Mike Gundy and Casey Dunn to ditch the RPO. We're running it. We're passing it. One or the other. And let's go. Yeah, 100%. They've done it from under center sometimes. They've done it out of the shotgun. And Ollie just seems to to find the whole whatever formation that they're in. And, and it has simplified things so much for Alan Bowman. But I'm glad that you brought up the offensive line because Ollie gives them all the credit. And, and as he should, I mean, that's what you do. When you're a running back and, and you're feasting, you give credit to the big boys up front. But those guys have answered the call. I mean, they said, get out there, run block, open up some gaps and run people over. And that's what they've done. I mean, these holes that Ollie Gordon's running through, yes, his vision is incredible. He's making all the right cuts at the exact right times. But Carson, he actually has some holes to run through. And the offensive line has been a big, big part of that. They've been good blocking for Alan Bowman. Brent Venables talked about it in his press conference. You you have to bring so many guys up to worry about Ollie Gordon that you're getting a lot of one-on-one matchups. That allows a guy like Leon Johnson to have five for 149 a week ago against Cincinnati. It has allowed Brennan Presley to once again become part of this Oklahoma State offense. And yes, that, that's due to the coaching staff making a great decision to say, okay, we're not going to make life that difficult on Alan Bowman. We're not going to have our our offensive linemen caught in between run blocking and pass blocking. We're going to hand it to number zero, 25, maybe 30 times a game. If you can stop him, good on you. If you can't, we're going to run the ball down your throat, and then we're going to work play action. We're going to have one-on-one matchups. We're going to get guys into space. It it was a great plan by the coaching staff coming into October, and, and the guys on the field have executed it just almost to perfection. So the turnaround offensively, a lot of credit goes a lot of places, and it starts with the coaching staff with a great plan, and it trickles down to all the guys on the field who have executed that at such a high level. Yeah, no, it's been it's been remarkable. I think also too, like it, there's kind of like when I study Oklahoma, like there's reasons why OSU is trending upward and OU is trending downward. I think on the flip side, OU's offensive line, they played nine offensive linemen against Kansas. Nine, if you're a Ferris Bueller fan. Uh, I think the certainty and like picking guys, much like they did with Bowman and Ollie Gordon, picking your guys and say, this is who we're rolling with, that you can see the results at Oklahoma State. And whereas at Oklahoma, their rotations have really hurt them. And that's, that's one of the main things I wanted to talk to you about, Colby, is so many years of us doing this podcast and prior, OU had a legitimate NFL offensive line. They simply do not coming into this game they don't Tyler Guyton will get drafted Walter Rouse will get drafted but he got pulled against Kansas uh this is not that 2008 OU offensive line that had Trent Williams and and uh uh, all those dudes that ended up in the NFL like Oklahoma State's defensive lines nothing there's not a bunch of NFL guys everywhere but they have a much lesser of a task than than previous iterations in Bedlam No, absolutely, and that's a big deal. I I think we could come into this game, and I'm not certain coming into Bedlam that Oklahoma has the better offensive line, and that's insane to say out loud, especially considering where we were at in the month of September and where Oklahoma was at, but I want to look big picture at OU with you for just a second, Carson. A year ago, Oklahoma goes 6-7, and and they lose just a ton of close games, right? Regression to the mean was coming with all those close losses. So then they start this season out in the non-con with Arkansas State and a 73 to nothing victory. That's a very bad Arkansas State team. They beat them up, but it wowed everyone, and we said, okay, here comes Oklahoma. 
28 to 11 the following week against SMU. Pardon me. Um, and then they beat up Tulsa. Then in conference play, a 20 to 6 win against Cincinnati. They beat up Iowa State. And then three close games against Texas, UCF, and Kansas. I think that this is a team last year in Oklahoma that was better than its record would have indicated at six and seven. They lost all the close ones. Things didn't go their way. This year, Oklahoma's a seven and one team that could just as easily be coming into this game five and three, a team that couldn't run away from SMU at home, uh, a team that couldn't run away from Cincinnati up there. Cincinnati, if they could have scored in the red zone, really could have made that a game. Dylan Gabriel did not throw for 300 plus yards in the month of October. They only had three games, but still, um, Carson, this is, pardon me, this cough. Um, this is an Oklahoma team that I think is a little bit worse than its record this year. Whereas a year ago, I think that they were a little bit better and that's kind of just evened out. Do you, do you think I'm onto something there? Or am I, um, just trying to connect dots that aren't there? No, no, no. I, I think that's very well put. And as you're laying it out, it makes total sense because, you know, I tried to point this out on our last show, like, you know, SMU was hanging around in the fourth quarter in Norman. Cincinnati was a close game on the road and OSU wiped the floor with Cincinnati. Like they haven't their, their biggest performance. And I guess it should be a cause for concern for Oklahoma state was when they just completely destroyed Iowa state at home. Iowa state obviously now is playing much better They're They've rebounded in a similar fashion as Oklahoma state. They, they run the same defense that Oklahoma state's running the three, three, five, and they put up a 50 burger against them. But past that, they haven't looked like a dominant team. They really haven't. Now, that's the concern for me, Colby, is all this talk all week from OU. They they only threw the ball, I think, 11 times before their final drive, took no deep shots. We all know that's probably the best way to beat Oklahoma State's defense. That concerns me. They absolutely annihilated Iowa State's 3-3-5. That concerns me coming into this game. So, And perhaps the one thing that concerns me the most, Colby, when they went to when they went to the Cotton Bowl and played against Texas, that looked like an SEC game. They they came there ready for a fist fight and brought it and really out tough Texas. Since then, they've gotten kind of pushed around. Like Kansas wasn't afraid of them. They didn't really fight. They didn't really. They weren't ready for a fist fight. They seemingly bring that every single year against Oklahoma State. They can sit there and say it's not a rivalry. They can sit there and say that it's just another game, that Bedlam's not that big a deal. You can tell the difference when they take the field against Oklahoma State. You just can. And I just hope the OSU's ready to match that. Yeah, they ratchet the intensity up to 11. And and we've seen, at times, average Oklahoma teams um, just put out their best performance of the season against Oklahoma State. And we've seen really good Oklahoma State teams Go out and lay eggs in Bedlam. That's just, that's the reality. That's the history. Everybody knows that. I'm not breaking news there. <clears throat> I do think that, that we've seen something with this Oklahoma team, though. I, I watch a lot of their games, and I think the trust that Jeff Levy has in, in his entire offense, but in Dylan Gabriel specifically, has started to wane somewhat. And, and maybe this is recency bias. The weather was bad a week ago in Kansas. But Gabriel has started to run the ball a lot more. He had 14 rush attempts last week against Kansas, the majority of which were designed. He had three touchdowns. Uh, They get inside the 10-yard line, and if OU is inside the 10, it is almost always a Dylan Gabriel keeper. I mean, that is just their absolute go-to. I think that Jeff Levy 
has lost some trust with Dylan Gabriel throughout the season. You see the pick six a week ago to open the game, and then he only ends up attempting 19 passes a day where Jason Bean, his counterpart, attempted 32 passes. I, I just I don't know that they totally trust Dylan Gabriel to fully air it out. Now, I'm curious, on a perfect weather day in Stillwater with a defense that's been getting beaten over the top, do they reverse course on that and let Dylan Gabriel air it out 40 times? I don't know, uh, but OU did not throw the ball very well really for the entire month of October. And if you look at the conference schedule specifically for Oklahoma, they do have the one dominant win, like you said, against Iowa State. But their other four games, Texas was a great win. Um, that game could have could have gone either way. It was a crazy game with turnovers and weird bounces and just all, all sorts of insane things happening. And then it's Cincinnati, UCF, and Kansas are the other performances. And I just, I, I don't know what to make of this Oklahoma team right now. I, th I think I'm actually more confused about OU and their identity coming in than I am about Oklahoma state. I think I very much know what Oklahoma state is. And I think OU is the wild card. I, I think they could come out just absolutely on fire. Like we've seen at times in Bedlam. I think they could also um, just be a, an average seven and one football team um, that, that gets tossed around in Stillwater on Saturday. I, I think the range of outcomes for OU is much wider than it is for Oklahoma state. Well, and I'm just curious how OSU chooses to play this because in in the past few weeks they've basically said you you're not going to run it, we dare you to to beat us, and we're going to put a bunch of dudes in the back end that that can cover, and it's gotten them beat as my dad rep as my dad will reference he's he's talked about that a lot with me as everyone that has a, has watched OSU football, but this game to me comes down to. Can Dylan Gabriel beat them with his arm? Because you're right. They did not trust him after that interception against Kansas. It was bad weather. But it wasn't like the ice bowl in circa 1985. I mean, it wasn't like this horrible downpour. I mean, it was fine. It was bad weather. But can Oklahoma State stop the run, which I think they can? Because, again, that's another thing that I wanted to note was I said OU's offensive line hasn't been what it's been. This is the worst running back room of OU – that in my lifetime, like not even close. The fact that a walk-on Tommy Walker is their best option. OU's used to having first-round picks in the, in the backfield. I mean, Adrian Peterson's the world. Uh, so that doesn't scare me. For me, Colby, it is, and that's what kind of scares me a little bit too, is when OU gets down and they're trailing and they air it out, like Gabriel's been pretty good. And that that, that obviously opens up more for him running the football and less, less so design runs, more scrambles. That's my number one concern, Colby, is if, he starts taking deep shots, and a lot of them, do we start seeing more of those chunk plays that OSU's been giving up time and time again? I think, to me, that's OU's only method of winning this football game. No, you're absolutely right. O Oklahoma has not had an individual player rush for 150 yards in a game this season. Put put that in, in context on the opposite side of Ollie Gordon, who's gone 280, 270 the last two weeks. Um, Oklahoma has only had an individual Top 100 yards rushing three times this season. One of those was Gabriel at 113 uh, against Texas. Walker had 146 last week, and he honestly, he looked really good. I know he's a walk-on. Um, he looked really good with the ball in his hands. He looked powerful. He, he looked like he had uh, some, some quickness to him, a good burst, and he rolled an ankle, so um, potentially a break there for Oklahoma State if, if the guy that they were just discovering was the guy isn't able to be back there, but you know, they talk about Marcus Major and missing him. I mean, he ran the ball for 63 yards against Cincinnati, 66 against Iowa State, 82 against UCF. It's not Just like he guy. was going out there putting up 170, 180 yards. So um, I, I think Oklahoma will lean on Gabriel in the run game a lot. But I, I think that 
I lean more toward they're going to air it out 40 times in this game and see if they can beat Oklahoma State on the back end. And maybe they can. Maybe they can do it enough. Uh, I'm not sure, but I, I think we're going to see two contrasting styles where Oklahoma State's going to give it to Ollie 30 times and Gabriel's going to throw it 40 times. Speaking of Ollie, um, definitely a Heisman contender at this point. Runaway leader for the Doak Walker. Oklahoma, they're they're a good defense. Make no mistake. It'll be, I think it'll be a probably a bigger challenge than than Cincinnati. I know I know Cincinnati has the defensive line that's much ballyhooed, but top to bottom, I think this is gonna be the biggest challenge he's faced. Do you think he can keep it going? I mean, what what's your thoughts on Ollie in this matchup? Uh, I don't think he's going for 250-plus again. I think that just sheer numbers that he's putting out are unsustainable, but the production itself, I, I think that that's going to continue. I, I think that we might see Oklahoma, um, if, if they're overloading the box and things early in the game, we've seen this. We saw it last week against Cincinnati where Ollie had 8 for 22 before the fumble. Um, 211 of his yards, I think, came in the second half on 12 carries, a couple of big plays in there. But I, I think that as the game goes along and the other side starts to get a little bit tired, I think that that just gasses Ollie up. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Ollie go out and have 40, 50 rushing yards in the first half and then have 120, 130 in the second half and, and hover in that 170 rushing yards, uh, something like that in this game. And if he can do that, if Oklahoma State can get that level of production from Ollie on the ground, I think that they're going to win this game. Um, now you need Alan Bowman to make enough timely plays through the air. I, I think that Ollie is the consistent piece here, but there are going to be a handful, Carson, of third and fives, third and sevens in this game where you need Alan Bowman to put it on somebody and somebody to make a play and pick up a first down. So those are going to be absolutely essential for Oklahoma State offensively. But I think Ollie, especially in the second half, when other people starts to get t- start to get tired and he doesn't, I, I think Ollie's going to get his. Well, and especially with Danny Stutzman being questionable at best, his replacement's got him Kip Lewis, who's a really good linebacker, kind of like the – he reminds me a lot of Brandon Everidge from back in the day, just kind of like a heat-seeking missile, just comes flying at the football. But he, he weighs 210 pounds. He, he's a wiry guy. Uh, if Ollie gets him in space one-on-one multiple times, I think those are some of your chunk plays from Ollie, 50, 60, 70, 80-yard plays so i again i think that matchup suits oklahoma state very well i do think oklahoma state or oklahoma rather will try to run it more toward the edges because they've been osu's been really good in the middle with nick martin and those guys in the center and i think you're right i think alan bowman i i don't think he's gotten enough credit um he's got a ton he's gotten plenty of credit overall but i don't think he's got enough credit for one his quick release the fact that he's not giving up very many sacks and two He's put some deep balls over the receiver's shoulder right in the breadbasket every single game, multiple times. He's been making some throws that I don't think have gotten enough credit, uh, maybe nationally, maybe not, maybe even locally. But I think you're right. I think it's up to Bowman to keep that defense uh, honest. And certainly Brennan Presley. I think he's going to be running a ton of jet sweeps to keep them honest as well. And, like, look, Colby, Oklahoma State is not – we, we we like what Casey Dunn's done. Obviously, they've scored four straight on their first possession, four straight games. We, we love all the changes they've made. It's been remarkable. Oklahoma State does not sit here and say they're going to trick you. <laughs> you know you know where it's going. 
now they they mix up the formations that they do a good job of that to mask what they do but they're throwing it to 80 they're handing it to 80 and they're handing it to zero and then and then of course hey maybe we'll throw it to that that uh, that giant over there number 17 leon johnson the third from from george fox wherever the hell that is uh but OSU's not going to try and trick them. They they know what's coming. It's just going to come down to can they execute. Yeah, and I'll be curious to see what Oklahoma State's game plan is right out of the gate. If Oklahoma truly is just loading the box to try to slow down Ollie, if Oklahoma State tries to set up the run using the pass and let Bowman air it out a little bit more in the first quarter. Because I do think the first quarter of this game is going to be so, so important. We saw what happened last year in Norman. I certainly don't expect anything like that to happen again. But if one of these teams gets out 10 to nothing, 14 to three, something like that. Either of these teams with a lead like that can kind of just dictate the pace of the game. And we've seen Oklahoma State be able to do that over the last month. And that has allowed Ollie to carry the ball 25, 30 times. So I think the first quarter is going to be incredibly, incredibly important uh, for Oklahoma State. George Fox, by the way, in Newburgh, Oregon. I just gave it a quick Google. No, uh, to see where Leon I, I know where it is. It's just, it's so, just <laughs> the name of it's just so funny. Um, yeah, yeah, no, and and to be clear, I I think the motion with Ollie and those jet sweeps, even last week, even there was a time when Cincinnati stopped it. It was like a second and ten. Cincinnati stopped it and set up a third and nine. And I told my dad, I said, you know, even just from a chess match standpoint, I don't mind that play there. Cincinnati defended it well, but you you do that throughout the course of a game. I always want the defense thinking. Are they giving it to 80 or are they giving it to zero? I want Brennan Presley in motion constantly. I don't want him to be go to be able to even go out and celebrate the win Saturday night if they get it, because I want him to be so exhausted from running side to side pre-snap so that the defense constantly has to think, Kip, I want Kip out there, by the way. Maybe this is a hot take. I don't know if I can respect a linebacker with the name Kip. Sounds like he should be sipping tea over an English muffin. Um, but, yeah, I, I want Brennan constantly running side to side so that they have to worry all game about whether they're giving it to 80 or zero. <laughs> Give it to him seven or eight times on that jet sweep and make Oklahoma respect it so that Ollie can get his as one guy is making sure that he mans Presley. Uh, you got me with the Kip comment. That was, that was too good. Kip. Uh, Kip. I can't respect a linebacker named Kip. Oh, that that killed me. But Colby, I mean, all that being said, all the X's and O's, all the schemes, all the history, it's the last bedlam. It all really comes down to this, in my opinion. OU has a better winning percentage against Mike Gundy, 0.833, than they have against every other OSU head coach combined, 0.803. Basically, before Gundy, the Sooners won four out of every five bedlams. Against Gundy, they've won five out of every six. And I mentioned the injuries being a part of it. That certainly is a factor. But the number one factor behind that stat is Mike Gundy's approach. Some people listening might say, no, it's because OU's been really good. Yes, they have. Uh, Oklahoma State beat some of their best teams in their history. Those 2000 teams, those Bob Stoops early year teams, they almost beat them in 2000 when they won the national championship. Came down to the same exact play, a fade to, I think it was Alonzo Mays or Marcellus Rivers, one of the, those two guys were the same number and both had a neck roll. I can't ever tell them apart. But they almost beat them that year. They definitely beat them in 01. We all know that. And they beat them in 02. That, those were Bob Stoops' best teams. And so I don't, I'm not here to listen to the, oh, well, they're just really good. No, the reason they've lost these many bedlams under Mike is his approach, flat out. I was in Norman last year freezing my tush off, 
when they got down 28 nothing. Uh, Teddy Lehman on his podcast, Oklahoma Breakdown, and the following couple days later, just could not believe what OSU was trying to do on offense and thinking it would work. Uh, their their approach, Colby, is everything in this game. And Mike does better as a three-touchdown underdog than he does a six-point underdog. That's just – that's what it is. I need him to believe – that he has to treat this game like he's a three-touchdown underdog. Because you are an underdog. OU probably has more talent top to bottom. The approach is everything. I feel like I say this going into every bedlam, and at every post game, I'm I'm yelling about it. But, Mike, this is your last chance, brother. Go for broke. Yeah, and, and I think that Mike Gundy knows that to an extent, this is a legacy game for Mike Gundy. This could rewrite his bedlam history to an extent in the eyes of the fan base. If you keep this thing rolling and maybe this turns into a team that winds up in Arlington and to do it in the last regular season matchup, I I just think Mike Gundy, he's not going to say it in his press conference, but I think he grasps what's at stake on Saturday for the university, for the fan base and for him as a head coach and his legacy in this game, because this is a winnable bedlam for Oklahoma State it's not going to be easy certainly it's not going to be easy but this is a winnable game and and I don't think that we're going to see a disastrous game plan coming out you know where, where he goes out and he said we were outplayed we were outcoached we, we heard that every week in September right I don't think we're going to see that this week I, I think that if Oklahoma wins this game it's going to be because they out executed Oklahoma State I, I don't expect in the final bedlam for Gundy to go out there with his tail tucked between his legs. Uh, he's doing the thriller dance yesterday in the auditorium for Halloween. He's He's got this team, Carson, for all the talk uh, about where this team's headspace was at and how they were feeling about the coaching staff and just all these speculative things you see on message boards. Everything that was going on in September, these guys are playing their tails off for Mike Gundy. And, and I just think that this is a team right now that it, that there's just a lot of cohesion in Stillwater. Um, I think the coaches are feeding off the players. I think the players are feeding off the coaches. And if Oklahoma, uh, if Oklahoma State loses this game, I don't think it's going to be because it was a bad game plan or because they played scared. Boy, I hope not. Do you remember last year? I do remember last year. I just think, again, I think that Mike Gundy is he's he's like the rest of us, right? He learns. He learned about the transfer portal. He's like, this is going to slow down. It didn't slow down. He's like, all right. Let's go. We've got to live with the transfer portal. This is part of it. The NIL stuff. He's like, ah, this is crap. And then they have the worst September in school history. And then he's like, hey, everybody donate to NIL. Don't build the new building. Give it to NIL. And I think that every bedlam has been a learning experience for Mike Gundy. And I'm I'm really crossing my fingers and hoping that that all culminates on Saturday. So you're saying an old dog can learn new tricks. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying an old dog can learn new tricks. Did you see the thriller moves, by the way? Oh, Dude, Gundy's got rhythm. Gun- hey, Gundy's got rhythm. He's got some moves, man. He was doing the old Shaq maneuver where he pushes his face to the left, pushes it to the right. He's doing the actual thriller dance. Now he's feeling himself. I mean, he's 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 winning. He's feeling good. Um, I, I hope he – I mean, I, I want him to do that when he comes out for the coin toss tomorrow on, on Saturday. I want him to be loose because, let's face it, Colby, Gundy has been so tight that he squeaks when he walks to go across the field to see Bedlam, to go see OU across the field. He's been so tight, he needs to loosen up. And hopefully this is the year he does it because it's been so brutal. I mean, that's 
again, that's and it, it's not football's not that complicated. Just just do what you've been doing. I mean, those those opening drives have been sensational. Just run, just whatever plans Casey Dunn comes up with for that first drive, go do it, and just don't pretend like you're playing in a phone booth and you gotta just just don't turn it over and we're gonna win the game. That's just not the way to approach this game. So. Uh, any more thoughts before we get to the uh, uniform preview and uh, sh- uh, toast of the week? I think I've gotten. I think I've gotten most. most I almost things said out shot of the week. I almost said shot of the week. It's a little early in the week for that. A shot of Yingling. How about a toast of Yingling? Yeah, we'll we'll do that. But first, let's hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. We appreciate Chris's sponsoring us as always. All right, Colby Bedlam, what are you looking for uniform-wise? Yeah, I don't know if some people are wanting orange for the last bedlam. Um, that would certainly be fitting if they went head-to-toe orange or even uh, white-orange-white combo, something like that. But I think that we're going to get the white-black-white combination with the mm. Curse of Cowboys on the side of the helmet. The Curse of Cowboys were good to them a couple years ago in bedlam. I think that they go back to it. I'm going white-black-white with the Curse of Cowboy helmet. Okay, that's an interesting choice. I don't know if they've ever worn white-black-white. Um the thing about this, though, is they get awfully superstitious when it comes to uniforms. And superstition comes out even harder when it's Bedlam. Just reverse it back to 2021, baby. Black, black, orange, cursive cowboys on the helmet. Just run it back. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing what they've worn in Bedlam in the years past. Black, orange, black. That's one of my favorite home looks. But Colby, they're a little. The equipment guys are a little superstitious. I think they're going with this look they had in 2021, the last time they beat them in Stillwater. Yeah, I wouldn't hate that. I wouldn't hate that. I certainly like the Curse of Cowboys. I think that that'll be involved this weekend. But um, yeah, maybe you should mix some orange in there. I don't know. I just the white, black, white. I, I've. I, it's just a feeling I've got. Yeah, I love it. I also neglect to mention that uh, Mike Gundy should have won uniform Heisman last week for his old school brand hoodie he was rocking he has a sweatshirt with a hoodie on underneath it but i digress now tucking it in i I, colby i thought he was wearing jeans i thought thought he was wearing like really light blue jeans i thought he was going like full canadian tuxedo on us for a minute but the uh the old school brand looked good on the uh, sweatshirt yes it did it looked phenomenal so uh yes honorary uni heisman to mike gundy for what he wore last week Yep. How about uh, Toast of the Week? Let's hear from Yingling, our sponsor of the Toast of the Week. Uh, I got a few nice messages on the uh, PFB Plus message board, the Chamber. Uh, a couple guys went to the tailgate up there in Stillwater last weekend for Cincinnati. They said, I was not lying about the flight. They enjoyed the flight. It it just blows all the other light beers out of the water. So I uh, appreciate that. So get, go get you some flights for this weekend. Bedlam game, you're going to want to entertain uh, friends, family, and uh, be sure to check out Yingling. So, Colby, where are you going for our Toast of the Week for Bedlam? Yeah, I gave my toast to Leon Johnson earlier this week for his performance against Cincinnati. Uh, but now I want to go ahead and circle back, and I want to give it to Ollie Gordon because the awards rolled in again this week. Uh, third consecutive week to win the Doak Walker National Running Back of the Week Award. He also won the Maxwell Award for Player of the Week, and he was named the Big 12 Offensive Player of the Week for the third consecutive week. The numbers that he's putting up are are just nearly unprecedented. I I saw a stat the other day, I think it was Caden McFarland that tweeted it out, said Adrian Peterson's best three-game stretch at Oklahoma was 573 rushing yards, I think he said, and Ollie Gordon's uh, last two games 
were 572 rushing yards, or maybe those were flip-flopped. But it's just, I I don't think we can even put into context, put into words, the sheer numbers that Ollie Gordon amassed over the past few weeks, um, doing it in in both ways uh, in the Kansas game and then just on the ground the last two weeks. I I don't think it's going to be 250-plus again, but I think he's going to eat on Saturday against Oklahoma, and all the accolades are well-deserved. I just hope that he's not reading too many of his press clippings, and I certainly hope that he doesn't listen to this podcast, at least until after this Saturday, because we need one more game where he just goes out there hungry, um, and then we can worry about the newcomers the rest of November. But but this game on Saturday, it decides a lot of things, and it'll determine how a lot of people are viewed the rest of the season, and I think Ollie's a good guy to have on your side. I rarely do, like, drafts on Twitter that I save for later. I've got some Ollie Gordon memes to post during <laughs> bedlam if he goes off i'll just that's beautiful that. that's called a tease in the old tv business uh my toast of the week is going to dalton cooper who said quote i'd also say that all the ou fans that are there maybe about 95 percent of them didn't go to college at ou but 100 percent of the osu fans that are in my town which is prague oklahoma all of them went to osu they're just a bunch of bandwagoners for sure just an amazing quote during Bedlam week, you're always kind of looking when you're in the media, just is anyone going to say anything crazy? It's Bedlam. You know, you don't like them. They don't like you. Anybody going to say anything? Dalton Cooper with the, uh, the best quote of the week and the even better Colby. I, I posted this quote. It's from Marshall Scott's column on uh, pistols firing even better or all of the OU fans in the replies, just so triggered, just, but, but, but you don't have the national following that we do, uh, but, but is this even really a flex? Uh, just it's it's just the best. Like they they took the bait, hook, line, and sinker. Like guys, we get it. Like you have a lot of fans because you've been good at football for a hundred years. Like we know, but still, we love that this triggers you so much because they are absolutely triggered, Colby. It's been a it's been a joy just to open uh, the Twitter sphere and and read all the replies. Yeah, triggered is a good word. I would also use sensitive. I even saw uh, Blinken Riley quoting the tweet and talking about their national brand and all these people because they win the football games. You know what? We like everybody at Oklahoma State being about Oklahoma State. We like that 80% of our fan base gets their their stuff at Chris's University Spirit and at the stadium because they're in Stillwater. They went to the university. They go to the games. And you know what? Your fan base goes to Walmart and picks up your T-shirts, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But we like the way you do it. We do it. You can like the way you do it, and and that's fine. But, uh, yes, they were very sensitive after Dalton Cooper's comments this week. Very, very sensitive. So that'll do it for now. We're going we're gonna to bring on your mom and then my dad, and then we're going to make our predictions on the game. So first – we're going to bring on uh, Miss Kim Powell. And now welcoming to Pistols Firing, as we do every Bedlam week, my mom, Kim Powell, joins us here on the pod. Mom, it is Bedlam week. It is a big Bedlam week. It is very possibly the last Bedlam week. We're a few days out, but how are you feeling midweek as we approach what should be a pretty iconic Bedlam in Boone Pickens Stadium? Oh my gosh, I am so ready for this bedlam. I cannot even tell you if you would have asked me in September, I would have been crawling under a rock. But this week, I'm very excited. I'm super excited about what I've been seeing. And I am I am I am ready for Saturday. 
Now, Kim, I, I have to I have to go back to you know you're one of the most loyal and true OSU fans I've come across because right? I was shocked to learn that you were headed up to Ames, Iowa, in the midst of one of the worst <laughs> September's we can remember of Oklahoma State football. I don't think there's a more loyal and true fan than you for making that trip to Ames. It's not an easy trip. It's a long trip. I understand you have some friends up there, but I just want to commend you for being loyal and true through the month of September because this podcast got pretty dark throughout that time. It did get pretty dark, and uh, that was a hard game to be at, even though we do have friends and we were there with friends, so none of the Iowa State people were picking on us too much. But <laughs> uh, it, it was – I mean, it was it – was, kind of a good game you could kind of see where we were maybe starting to turn things around at least they kept it close that game uh but yeah it was still hard there at the end to watch the turnaround not happen uh but what I've seen since then after the bye week I'm I'm very happy with I mean we were all on the Gundy's gotta go bandwagon uh but what he has done since that Iowa State game is really unprecedented I think. Speaking of unprecedented, uh, one Mr. Ollie Gordon. Ollie Gordon was named the Doak Walker National Running Back of the Week uh, award winner for the third straight week. He also won the Maxwell Award Player of the Week. He was also given the third consecutive Big 12 Offensive Player of the Week award. Um, he ran for two less yards against Cincinnati than Cincinnati's prior three opponents had run for. That was a stat that Dave Hunziker threw out on the broadcast this past Saturday. What Ollie's doing, I'm trying to find some sort of comparison for it. Um, I'm too young for Barry and Thurman. Obviously, Chuba led the nation in running, but that was more just consistent week after week after week. Ollie's the first one since Barry to go 250-plus on the ground in consecutive weeks. So where does Ollie Gordon and kind of this run that he's on, where does this stack up for you in terms of just fandom and Oklahoma State running back lore. When we look back on Ollie Gordon, do you think he's going to be one of the great names that is remembered at Oklahoma State? Oh, I definitely do. And if Ollie keeps going like he's been going the past few weeks, if he does not get an invitation to New York, it's going to be a sad, sad day for all of football because it will just be, you know, pathetic that he's not invited. But uh, I, I think really Ollie... The only comparison you can go back to, honestly, is Barry, because if if you've watched Ollie the last few weeks, even just breaking the tackles, I mean, the the when he's catching a ball and and getting through the center and just just turning and twisting and and breaking loose, I mean, it's it's very Barry esque, even though he's built very very different than Barry. Um, so, so kind of when you see it, you, you don't really see it, but if you really look close, you do see it because the things that he's doing are very, very like, uh, so that's really the only one that, that I can compare him to, but I really think if Ollie has another good week this week, uh, there's, there's not really going to be any stopping us. I, I, I want Ollie to go for another 250 yards. I think that would be just phenomenal. I know that's asking a lot out of a 20 year old kid. Uh, but man, I am, I am on the Ollie bandwagon to get another 250 this week. Well, he obviously only had, you know, three carries in the South Alabama game. His emergence <laughs> obviously has been huge for this team. Alan Bowman becoming the full-time starter has been, been big. Can you kind of take me back to the beginning of the year? You know, you, you go to that Iowa State game, but maybe even before then, 
like Colby and I, we our, our takes are well known from how everything was handled at the quarterback position and the offense as a whole. Just can you kind of take me back to your mindset as you were watching the first few games of the year, just with the quarterback rotation and what they were doing on offense? Just where what was your mindset like going through that that month? Well, I mean, the first couple of games, I wasn't too worried about the quarterback rotation because I knew what they were trying to do. They were trying to show everybody, look, this this, this is what we have to choose from. This is, uh, you know, how do I tell one of these kids, as in Mike Gundy's words, that they can't play? Uh, And so I was kind of okay with it that first couple of games, even though they were tight games. But you got into that South Alabama game and – you were losing. I mean, we were just getting our butts run off the field. Something needed to change then to for for Gundy to be so sometimes he can just be so egotistical and prideful that he just can't admit that what he's doing is not right and not working and to change it midstream. Uh, thank God he finally got that over the bye week and figured it out. But Oh my gosh. I, you know, and I was even, I, I, I thought Rangel played well Gundy and what was it? The second game we played. Um, I thought he played very well in that game. Uh, I think I even tweeted back at you. About, have, have you changed your mind about Gundy? Uh, because he played very well. I thought in that game, uh, but looking at Bowman now, you can definitely see that having an, an older guy and a leader that has been around for a while, the team has really rallied around that, which is what we needed earlier. And so, yes, looking back, hindsight being 2020, uh, that's why Gundy gets paid the big bucks. He should have made that decision before the year started. Uh, and and then if we were blowing some of those non-conference teams out, then let Rangel and Gundy come in and play. You know, but but to 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 be where we're at today and and let's face it, the 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 people that are ranking us are still holding that loss against us very heavily. The fact that we were ranked below Kansas and Kansas State after beating them. I mean, what is that all about? But I think it's about that South Alabama loss. It is. It is. It is. But. I think Alan Bowman's doing a great job now. One thing I will say about Alan is sometimes he he gets back in, he backs up out of the pocket and he holds the ball too long. And then his receivers, the defenders have time to cover his receivers. And so I would really love this week to see Alan really get comfortable back there, get that O-line, continue to do what they're doing and give him time. But don't take too much time that your receivers, then you don't have a receiver and you have to throw it out of bounds. I think a lot of times he's just waiting a little bit too long. So I'd like to see that. Hopefully they're working on that this week and getting that corrected. But I think if, I think if he can have a great game and, and Ollie and and Brennan can have a great game, I'm, I I'm, I'm excited for what can happen this week. All right, let's head over to Twitter. Carson asked for some Twitter questions. And as our listeners always do, they came through. We're going to start with Sam. Boucher, what is your favorite Bedlam memory over the years? We've got Rashawn in the corner of the end zone, 16-13. We've got Rashawn is still open, 38-28. 2011, the Tyreek punt return, 2021. Where's that Sooner magic now? Um, Several (laughs) to choose from. What is your favorite Bedlam memory over the years? You know, there is a lot to choose from, and maybe it's just because of a recent... I love all those. I mean, all those were great. That Rashawn Woods is still open. I mean, that's just hilarious, but uh, they're all good, and maybe it's just because it's more recent, but that 2021 game, the electricity in that stadium was 
like I've never seen before, ever. In, in, in my 57 years, I have never seen anything like that stadium before. And it's the first time in my life that I had ever rushed down onto the field after a game uh, because we were just all so excited. That that was just, that was the best. And I, I know this week is at a 2.30 game, but I hope the crowd really brings it again. I know I have plans to bring earplugs because after that 2021 game, I could not hear for two days my ears hurt so bad. So I am definitely bringing earplugs. I would suggest other people do too, to protect their hearing, <laughs> but bring the noise because I really think the reason we won that game in 2021 was the crowd had a lot to do with it. And I think the crowd will have a lot to do with it this weekend as well. Yeah. Are you, are you going to the game this, this weekend? Oh yes. I don't miss one. <laughs> well, I, I got to think, and I have a Twitter question to get to after you answer this one, but I got to think this year, being that it's the last bedlam for the foreseeable future, being that it's a chance to really take take hold of the lead to go to the Big 12 championship game, everything that's encompassed with it. You got Trace Ford as a captain for OU. It's it's going to be as crazy as 2021 is. I, I kind of expect this one to be even crazier, don't you? I do. I do expect it to be a little crazier because the hype around it with it being the last one, everybody wants to win it. I mean, it's it's like like Mike Gundy said, we'll probably meet up in a bowl at some time in the future. But other than that, this is the last bedlam. And nobody wants to go out as the loser of this last bedlam. And I certainly don't want to. And I hope the guys playing on the field in orange don't want to either because I, I'm i going to bring my voice. I'm sure I won't be able to talk for three or four days after this game, <laughs> but that's okay. I'll, I'll put all my energy into them. <laughs> I think it'd be kind of poetic if if Mike won his last one, considering how many how many close calls, how many heartbreakers he's had in this this rivalry. That'd be a great way for him to go out. But Jeremy P. Uh, Cowboy Germ asks, "Have you ever seen a, a season turn around as quickly as this one before?" He says it feels incredible now compared to after Week Four. Do you remember a team, Kim, that's kind of started out slow, didn't look like they would amount to much, that's really turned it around in this fashion? No, never. I mean. In teams, we've started out slow. We've maybe come back a little bit towards the very end of the season, but um, usually usually those teams that don't start out great don't really end great either. This, this is really, it really is unprecedented what the coaches have done. I mean, I, I was riding them hard earlier in the year. I was angry at them. Uh, what they have come together and done uh, is nothing short of a miracle, really. <laughs> I mean, and, and I'll take it, uh, but no, I've never seen anything like it before. What they've come together in Casey done, if you will. Right. Um, all right. Patrick asks, and this will be a good one. He says that he was at a gender reveal weekend, uh, gender reveal last weekend, where his dad was openly rooting against OU in a house full of OU fans. <laughs> uh, Patrick told his dad that that was rude, and his dad said that he didn't care. He's 67 years old. How do you go about rooting against OU around OU fans? Loud and proud. I am always, I, you know, my truck is custom done. My truck is all OSU. I love driving through Norman in my truck. When I go to Norman or that part of the state, I all, well, I always have OSU on anyway, really, but, but I especially make sure I have on orange and OSU when I go to Norman. Uh, it, when people are around me that are OU fans, they know exactly how I feel about it. I am I am I am not an OU fan in any way, shape, or form. I don't care that they're an in-state school. As uh, Mike Boynton would say, we don't like them. <laughs> well, I've experienced doing that too. I remember the 
it was the 1613 Rashawn game in my neighborhood. I was at, a, at my neighbor's house, all OU fans. And I, of course, wasn't used to OSU winning that game, even though we did have the 90s. But I was just kind of quiet most of the time. I was like, oh, OU's going to find a way to win. They're trying to win a national championship this year. And then when Rashawn caught it, I went berserk. I ran outside to go say hi to my dad and celebrate with him. And they, they locked me out of the house. They didn't let me back in for the final seconds of the game. <laughs> so I'm, I'm experienced with that, too. <laughs> and and I don't know, Mom, do you remember in 2007 when we watched the Fiesta Bowl between Oklahoma and Boise State, and my best friend was at the house watching with us, and do you remember his immediate departure upon the N. Johnson, N. Johnson touchdown to end the game? I do remember his immediate departure. It was like he was at the door ready to leave when that play was <laughs> over. And he left because he knew we were going to be hooping and hollering. And we were. And he, yeah, he took off. He couldn't take it. That's, yeah, that's typical. <laughs> uh, kind of a two-parter here. Matthew Laster asks, where did the goalposts reside on Sunday morning in their original locations or in Boomer Lake? And I guess my my add in there is, do you think the fans should storm the field if they win the game? You know, I'm okay with storming the field. I don't know that we should pull the goalpost down, though. I honestly just act like you've been there before. Uh, this is the last bedlam. It's a big deal. I think, yes, storm the field. Congratulate the guys. But be careful. We're still early in the season. Don't hurt anybody, please. Um, I don't know. I, I have mixed feelings about the goalposts. Uh, coming down. I, I say no. I say no on the goalpost, but yes to rushing the field. I actually 100% agree. I think tearing the goalpost down is just a tiny bit dangerous, and maybe it's because I'm a parent now. Um, <laughs> we are not taking our little girl to the game on Saturday because uh, I feel that it could be dangerous on the field after the game and potentially in the stands during the game. Um, I have someone who sits on my row, just a couple seats down from me, who's very loud, very outspoken. And if there are any Sooner fans in the section, uh, it could get a little hostile. It has in the past for home Bedlam games gotten a little bit. It's hostile. also not the last home game. They got to play BYU the last game of the year at home. They got two road games after this, but they'd have that's time true. to replace them, but you still got a game to play at home. <laughs> yeah, that's true. UCF and Houston after this, uh, and then BYU at home to end the season. All right. Um, I'm going to ask you now, moving away from Twitter, about Dalton Cooper's comments that he made. Dalton Cooper is from Prague, Oklahoma. He said that it's more of an OU town, but that he takes the OSU fans and quality over quantity. His exact quote was, I'd say that all the OU fans that are there, maybe about 95% of them didn't go to college at OU, but 100% of the OSU fans that are in my town, all of them went to OSU we are a little bit more loyal and true at our fan base here. They're just a bunch of bandwagoners for sure. Dalton Cooper throwing shade at the OU fan base in the middle of Bedlam week. Like it, love it, or hate it? I love it. I love it. Keep it going. You you know the reason I am an OSU fan anyway is because I grew up in a family of those god-awful bandwagon OU fans, and it literally drove me crazy. And I became an OSU fan in about the seventh grade when I was old enough to kind of know the difference and um, just to annoy my family. And then my love just grew and grew and grew over the years, and it did annoy my family <laughs> as I was growing up. Uh, but yes, I, I think he's got a point, and I love it. Yeah, we'll ask Twitter question here, and it's kind of one I had in mind too from my man Dave Hudson, OKC Dave. He says, "Do you have a favorite Bedlam moment?" That kind of goes hand in hand with with Colby's, but you mentioned the one before. But 
any others stick out to you? I mean, there's there's not a ton to choose from. Maybe one from a, a different game that you, than you mentioned. Actually, probably back, and I don't know, it's a moment, but just the ice bowl was that eighty? What was that eighty seven, eighty eight, somewhere in there? I don't remember exactly the year. Um, that I mean, eighty five. Eighty five. Okay, the ice bowl. Yeah. Oh yeah, the year after I graduated uh, from high school. Uh, so yeah, that, that game was just unreal. Uh, I mean, it was, it was just solid ice on the field, solid ice. in the. we literally, I had icicles coming off my eyebrows. Um, <laughs> that's how icy it was and, and rainy. So that game probably will always be the one that stands out most in my mind, just because of the weather, uh, and how that was. Are you are you gonna miss Bedlam? Or are you gonna are you just kind of glad to get get OU out of your hair? You know, at first when they announced they were leaving and we knew Bedlam was going away, I was kind of bummed about it. And I was like, oh man, this is such a fun game. But then the more uh as as a couple of years have gone by now, I'm like, you know what? Good riddance. I am so done with this. I hardly pay attention to them anymore except to root against them. Uh, and so um, now I really will have to pay even less attention to them. So at first I was, but now I'm not. I'm, I'm like, it's done. Good riddance. See ya. Uh, last one for me that I've got aside from score prediction. Over or under eight and a half wins total for OU next year. First year in the SEC. Oh, gosh. Oh, I'm going to go under. Love it. I knew you were going to go under. I knew it. All right. Uh, we need a score prediction from you. Oklahoma is a six-point road favorite at the moment. Um, the Oklahoma State side is juiced a little bit, so plus six on Oklahoma. You're Oklahoma State, you're having to spend a little bit more, but OU is a six-point favorite despite being on the road in Stillwater. What do you have for a score prediction Saturday afternoon? Okay, well, I forgot about my score prediction, but I will give one prediction or one one thing I want to happen before I give you my score prediction. I really hope because I know how much it drives the OU fans crazy. And the thing I love most in the world is driving OU fans crazy. And that is that we wear all orange, head to toe, helmets, shirts, <laughs> pants, shoes, everything, head to toe. They hate it. Let's wear all orange, please. Uh, so after that, my score prediction, I think I'm going to go, I'm going to go 38 24 Cowboys. I, I think my Cowboys. I think my Cowboys are going to do it. Nick Martin has been all over that field. If he can keep that up, man, we're, yeah, we got it. We got it bag. Uh, that would go over by a point. So you're very close to Vegas on the total. The over/under on this game is 61. So uh, huh? I love that. Carson, thoughts on the on the prediction? Uh, two touchdowns. That'd be a heck of a way to end Bedlam. I mean, um, let me ask you this though before we wrap up. Biggest concern coming into this game uh what what if there's something you're thinking about this matchup in this game on saturday what's the one thing that's kind of been you've been harping on like well we gotta we gotta take care of this what's your what's your biggest concern it's those long plays that the those long throws and 67 yard touchdowns for the other team we cannot we've got to stop that we cannot let that happen this week uh if you let them get away with one you might be okay but if you let them get away with more than that it, it's going to be a long afternoon. So we've got to clean that up. The defense has been playing great, but we've got to clean up those long plays by the opposing team. All right. And I've actually got one more for you. Um, do the Rangers clinch in game five? Most people will be listening to this after game five. So they will already know whether you were right. Do the Rangers clinch in game five or are they going to have to go back home? 
I think they're going to have to go back home, and I think they're going to clinch it in game six. All right. I love it. Great stuff. Uh, we will see you Saturday in Boom Pickin Stadium, where uh, I'm sure you will be bringing the noise. Thank you for joining us, as always, for our Bedlam Pod. You bet. Thanks, guys. Go Pokes. All right. Back once again for his annual Bedlam appearance is my dad, Mike Cunningham. Dad, uh, thanks for dragging me to all those Lewis Field Rustolium games over the years because it didn't seem like going to OSU football was much fun back then, but it shoot, it, it sure is fun right now. Well, you're right. It wasn't a lot of fun back in those days, but uh, it has gotten better. Yeah. No doubt about it. It has gotten a ton better. Um, September to October, pretty stark contrast. So, Mike, if you could just walk me through your headspace going into the bye week and walk me through your headspace now, four games later, going into Bedlam. Well, after the first four weeks, uh, I was researching uh, coach buyout amounts, which were astronomical, so I knew we couldn't do that. Uh, fortunately, it didn't come to that because – Gosh, I mean, I, I have no complaints about the last four weeks at all. I still have no clue what we were doing the first three weeks. I would love to really sit down with the coaching staff and just say, what in the heck were you guys thinking? <laughs> but, you know, they did what they did. I have no idea why. I mean, it was coaching malpractice in my opinion, but my opinion doesn't count for much up there. So I'm just thankful that they came to their senses and we now are playing pretty good. Yeah, we, we did ask for Twitter questions and we'll get to those. And this kind of what you just said kind of goes along with James Wynn, a guy I went to college with. He said, let your dad cook about how we'd be 8-0 if Gundy didn't mess up QB1 and, and RB1. So you, you kind of started it, but you, you did send me a text saying it was criminal that QB1 and RB1 were not uh, RB1 were not uh, Ollie and, and Bowman. And why do you think, like, try to get into Mike's head. Why do you think he w he did what he did and just keep, keep cooking for a little bit, if you don't mind? Well, I, gosh, I, I don't know that I could ever get into Mike's head, but I'm, I think, and it, this may just be a small part of it. I don't know that it was a, a huge part of it, but he took such a hit in the portal in the off season. I think he just felt like he had to get more guys playing time to keep more guys happy. So they wouldn't leave. Uh, he's sitting there with, you know, three quarterbacks. I mean, you know, Bowman's not going anywhere. He's, this is his last year. His kid's not going anywhere, but Rangel could easily get in the portal. He's got a freshman, I think Flores, he could easily get into the portal. Uh, the running backs, he's got, you know, two or three really good ones. I just think he wanted to get more guys on the field to keep them happy. How big a factor that was, I really don't know. Uh, and again, I, I think he thought those first three games were walkovers and that he could just kind of, you know, skate through and win three and then get into the conference games. But, man, it uh, it backfired on him. That South, that South Alabama game was – one of the, mo the most horrible games I've ever watched for OSU. Yeah, it was maybe the worst performance in the Mike Gundy era. And you mentioned making everyone happy. And what's making everyone happy these days is watching Ollie Gordon run 
and spinoff tackles. I saw a stat earlier that just his yards after contact would make him the 42nd leading rusher in the nation. He leads the nation uh, with almost 700 of his more than 1,000 yards rushing being after contact. Ollie Gordon is so fun to watch. Mike, you've watched a lot of Oklahoma State football over the years, and this is a, a short span, right? We're talking about one month here with Ollie Gordon. And what, I mean, 250-plus, obviously, every week, that's unsustainable. But if he continues to run anything like what he has the last month, I mean, what is what is the ceiling for Ollie Gordon and just how wowed have you been by what he did in the month of October? Well, his month of October was uh, Barry Sanders-like. And, you know, I went to, I was there for all of Barry Sanders games. I mean, it was unbelievable the things he did. Uh, and I'm not saying Ollie Gordon is Barry Sanders, but the numbers he's putting up are very comparable. Uh, you know, Barry'd go out there and put 250, uh, three, 300 plus on some people. Uh, I don't know that uh, Ollie Gordon's going to do that, but, you know, if he averages 200 yards a game the rest of the, the season, I mean, he's, He's going to be Heisman Trophy potential, and we've only had one guy that was that's ever won the Heisman Trophy, and you know who that is. <laughs> no, he's he's been amazing, Dad. Um, just well, you oh. ca you called for him, Carson. So, um, well, yeah, you, know, you, I mean, had, I, you had him you had him pegged last year. Yeah, I mean, I I thought he was the best running back on the roster last year. I mean, Dom Richardson. I mean, we we all like the kid, but he's not even the same galaxy as Ollie Gordon. I was saying as much last year. Uh, I don't no. pretend to know as much football as Mike. I just think he's a little, I just think he's a little slow to play young guys over guys that have put in the work. That he's always been two that days, way. All those things. Yeah, he's always been that way. Yeah, so I, I think that was it. But I mean, shoot, just what what he's doing now is like you're right. It it really is like I don't remember a running back running for two fifty back to back weeks. It's been since Barry. So that that's that's a good comparison. How, how does he only have three carries against South Alabama? It's a mystery. Three carries. It it, it I, looks even I, worse today. I just don't get it. I didn't didn't get it then. I still don't get it now. Well, and I do wonder if part of its injuries they they really have been snake bit, particularly on the offensive line over the over the last five six years. Uh, but that that to me doesn't hold much water for me. I mean, you play your you play the guys that deserve to play, and I, <laughs> clearly he deserved to play. So I mean, it's. It's water well, under that, the bridge, but, I mean, it, that's kind of where I was at with it. That could also be a contributing factor because you're right. I mean, we've had guys banged up when we get down to, you know, games 10, 11, and 12. But still, when you're getting embarrassed by South Alabama, put him on the field. Yeah. Didn't no, happen. I, I think that's been one of the stories of the season, too. Not only have they played Ollie, Dad, that I think Casey Dunn's done the two things that literally everyone wearing orange has been calling for is, is throw it to 80 Brennan Presley and hand it off to zero Ollie Gordon. And that's pretty much what they've done over the last four weeks. I mean, what, well, what, what have you made of this a, turnaround offensively? Well, I only, I only know what I read and cause I'm not a, I'm not a football coach. I'm certainly not an offensive coordinator, but apparently they've just canned the RPO uh, cause I guess Bowman wasn't very good at running it and just, they just go to straight turn and hand it to Ollie, which obviously is a, a pretty smart decision. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about it. I, I think that that's what makes it even that much more impressive is that Ollie's doing this with no threat of a quarterback run game, right? I no. mean, when, 
Some other running backs at Oklahoma State have done it. We saw with Spencer Sanders the last few years. Spencer would hold those guys on the edge with his threat to run, and that made life easier for the backs. This is no threat of a quarterback run game. Alan Bowman can move just a little bit, but certainly not enough that defenses are worried about it. So I think it makes it all that much more special what Ali is doing, considering they don't have the running quarterback. Uh, Mike, we've got a couple people on Twitter. Dave Hudson, Sam Boucher, I think a couple others. Want to know your favorite Bedlam memory over the years? Uh, I rattled off some when we talked to my mom recently, the the 2021, the Tyreek punt return, 2011 to win the Big 12 title. Rashawn's always open, 16-13. But I'm sure you've got many more in the memory bank. Do you have a favorite um, or do you have a couple favorites that you can give the people? Well, gosh, you took all the good ones. <laughs> <laughs> I was just well, rattling them off. That way we didn't miss there's any. There's not many. <laughs> My absolute favorite was 21 uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, I mean, I, I started following OSU in 1971 when I enrolled up there as a freshman. That's 50-plus years ago. And until and I had season tickets for a lot of years until Carson got to uh, the point where he was playing competitive soccer every weekend and we couldn't go to the games. But I had never in all of those years seen a Bedlam victory in Stillwater. Wow! You, you think about that? That's a lot. <laughs> a lot That's of a game. long time. Now, we've won some in Stillwater, but I wasn't there. We didn't win in Stillwater. We won in Stillwater in the mid-90s, but that's that's kind of when I quit buying season tickets because I couldn't go to the game. But I've only seen one Bedlam win in Stillwater, and that was 21. I also have only been to one Bedlam in Norman, and that was a Terry Miller game. <laughs> so, but the the – the Terry Miller game wasn't near as big as, as 21. Plus I was up there with Carson, which it's, you know, made it special. Yeah, that was a, that was a great night. Uh, shout out again to Matt Amillion who got us up in the suite level. I think my dad Colby is spoiled. Now we were at the suite level club level where you can kind of go inside outside. And I don't think we're going to get my dad up in that stadium again, unless it's, unless it's suite level. <laughs> you can get a little spoiled up there in the suites. I've sat up there one time and it was, it was pretty sweet. Uh-oh. Man, that is the only way to go watch a football game. But uh, I got on StubHub uh, and just kind of playing around. And, you know, the the StubHub, the sweet tickets for Bedlam on Saturday are like three or four grand a pop. So oh my that God. won't be happening. <laughs> no. uh, Zach Ukulele on Twitter says, got to get your dad's take on the new uniforms. Not a ton of the brand this year. He's got to be beside himself. We actually talked about this on the phone uh, yesterday, I believe. So what are your thoughts on the new unis? Well, the new unis are different every week. So that's kind of a hard question. If you're just talking about this past week, uh, two thirds no, of just, really, just overall, like the, the new uniforms and mainly what helmets they've worn this year, I guess is probably what he's getting at. Well, I've, I have no problems with the pants, the jerseys. Uh, I think the new jer- the jerseys this year are way better than what they used to wear in those old – that those weird prints things on there. But, uh, you know, I mean, I've made it pretty clear in, in past pods that I, I'm a brand and nothing else. However, I have kind of grown to, to like the cursive cowboy. Uh, I don't really care about the color. Uh, now the ones against Cincinnati, I didn't like because I don't mind white helmets, but the two straps I didn't like, 
I didn't like the great face mask. Uh, and I really don't like Pistol Pete on the helmets. I love Pistol Pete, but I just don't want to see him on a helmet. <clears throat> but overall, the universal, the uniforms are good. But yep. I just, I wish we had one thing that was traditionally the same almost every week. I mean, you know, now, you know, somebody that's not a true OSU fan pops on an OSU game on TV. <clears throat> they might even know who we are until they see a scoreboard or a score. Because, I mean, we, we wear so much different stuff. Yeah. Uh, just give me the brand, give me the cursive cowboy, and be done with it. But, you know, again, uh, they're going to do what they do, and uh, I'll still watch them. Oh, yeah. Those those are definitely fair takes. Uh, I think the unique uniforms are, are here to stay for sure. Chance Thompson right. on Twitter asks, how are you feeling about this being the last Bedlam for the foreseeable future? Mike, do you, do you like that? Do you hate that? Are you kind of conflicted? Where do you stand on this being the last at least regular season Bedlam for the foreseeable future? I am delighted. <laughs> Me too. I, I'm not conflicted one bit. Uh, I mean, I, like I said, I've been a fan since the set mid early seventies and my gosh, hell, the first 20 years I was a fan, we won one game. I mean, we were getting smoked back in the Barry Switzer days. You know, we went, we went once in the seventies. We don't win any in the eighties. Uh, and then we didn't start finally winning until the mid nineties. So I don't, I'm not going to miss this game at all. It's just too much heartache. <laughs> I agree. Um, GIA enthusiast says, how did Mike feel watching Kansas and Oklahoma last week go for two outside the fourth quarter? I know that that's something you instilled in me from a very young age about chasing points, going for two too early. It's got to drive you crazy watching all these analytics guys go for two so early in games. Well, you know, they can take analytics or analytics and stuff, but, uh, <laughs> It's the same thing in baseball. You know, now they've got all these analytics in baseball and they're just doing weird things. But, uh, well, that's just that's just me. I mean, I've said that for years. You don't chase points until the fourth quarter because you never know. I mean, if you just sit down and kind of run the numbers, you go, well, you know, what happens if they kick a field goal or what happens, if, you know, and then see what the score would be then. And you go, well, shoot, I wish we'd kick that extra point because we're missing that point now. Mm -hmm. But. You know, oh, you Kansas. I watched it, but you know, I don't care if they screw up and go for two. That's that's their. You know, <laughs> I just it just irritates me when it's our team that's doing it. Well, you gotta like Gundy. He's he's pretty. He's one of the olds. He's he's <clears throat> a pretty much a traditionalist uh, football coach when it comes to decisions like that. So there is oh, something yeah. he said for Mike kicking field goals and and not chasing two point conversions. I agree, hundred percent. Now there are times when I wish he'd go for it. Uh, but it's, you know, generally, you know, kick the field goal, take the points and we got a good field goal kicker. So, you know, I have no issues with, with, with that. Yeah. It's grown on me. The, the field goals have grown on me fourth and less than one. I'm still normally a go for it guy, but I, I understand, you know, fourth and two, fourth and three, those mm. things are not givens. And if you can put some points on the board, I, I have grown, uh, to appreciate that Mike Gundy puts points on the board. Brent Venables today went up and he was asked about Ollie Gordon and he's he's throwing all the praise at Ollie Gordon. Everyone is throwing all the praise at Ollie Gordon. And, and 
yeah, Mike, as well as Oklahoma State is playing, this game is in Boone Pickens Stadium where Oklahoma State has been great, where the crowd is going to be unbelievable. Uh, and OU's coming off a loss, and they just generally have not looked good. They could have easily come in on a three-game losing streak with the wins over Texas and UCF being very close, and then the loss to Kansas a week ago. All that being said, and Oklahoma is a six-point favorite. So I, I don't know. I, I take that information. I use it a little bit, but I don't know exactly what to do with it. How do you feel about OU being nearly a touchdown favorite on Oklahoma State's field uh, with <laughs> Oklahoma State seemingly trending upward and Oklahoma seemingly struggling a bit? I generally trust the bookies. Uh, I mean, you know, they know what's happened in this game for years. Uh, I saw something on Twitter today where the last five times, five or six times, OU's came into Bedlam off of a loss. They won every time. They're undefeated coming into Bedlam after a loss. You know, those bookies, they see things like that. That doesn't bother me. Uh, I, you know, I really thought it'd be three or four points. I thought six was too many. Uh, I mean, I think it, I mean, it came out higher than that, didn't it? Oh, I think it's been right around. I've seen it anywhere from four to six, depending on the book. The book that I use has it at six right now. Um, opened it at like five and a half, I think. So it's kind of been hovering in that area. Yeah. Well, like I say, that doesn't bother me. I mean, those guys put their money. They got their money up, so more power to them. Uh, I don't think that's a horrible line, but uh, as an OSU fan, I'd like to – I'd hoped it'd be a little bit closer. Well, Dad, uh, what do you make of this year's matchup? Colby mentioned what OU's been doing, you know, what Ollie and, and OSU's been doing. Just how do you feel about this one, just generally? I mean, do you feel like it would be a monumental upset if OSU won? Do you like what what are you looking for in this game? And just where where's your uh what's your gut tell you? Give me give me your Mike's gut rating on this game. <laughs> well, you know me, Carson. I am very or I have very little optimism about the Bedlam game, typically. Well, I and would, too, gonna, if you'd only seen one win in your lifetime in Stillwater. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you that I'm optimistic. But I will say I'm less pessimistic. Does that make sense? <laughs> <laughs> it does. I, I, I think I know what you're trying to say there. I really think it's going to be a good game. I really think... I don't think it's going to be a monumental upset if we win at all. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't think OU is OU from 1973 or four or five. They're not national championship caliber. I'm not even sure they're Big 12 conference champion caliber. But it is Bedlam. And we just, you know, things happen to us in Bedlam. Uh, if you ask me to give you a score, I'm not going to tell you we're going to win. But I think it will be really, really close. And it's just going to take a, an extra turnover. You know, if we have more turnover, if we have plus turnovers, we can win the game. Or, you know, it, I just have this fear that our defense isn't going to hold up. Yeah. I'm confident in our offense. They've looked really good. And I... And I think, you know, even if OU gets their linebacker back, I think we can run the ball on them. I mean, I don't know that always going to get 250 yards, but I think we can pass on them. Hell, Kansas passed on them. 
I just I, I don't trust our defense. And I, I you know, we just keep giving up these forty and fifty yard touchdown plays. And that scares me. Thus if you ask me to give you a score, you know, it's gonna be I'm gonna predict an OU win close. Yeah. But you know, all it takes is one turnover to 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 turn that game. Yep. Sounds good, Dad. Appreciate you coming on the pod. You got any more Thanks, you got any more takes? Well, before I leave, I have to uh, give a message to Colby. All right, hit me. One thing you said last week, two things. One thing you said last week, you love Mike Gundy, but he drives you crazy. 100%, That's, yes. You are 100% correct. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's the only way to describe him for an OSU fan. It's the, well, it's the best way. It's the best I've ever heard. I love him, but it but he drives me crazy. <laughs> Two, I'm pulling hard for your Texas Rangers tonight. Oh, man. Yeah, by the time uh, most of our listeners hear this, we will know whether the Texas Rangers are World Series champions. I am an Oklahoma State fan, an Oklahoma City Thunder fan, a Dallas Cowboys fan who's too young to remember the Super Bowls, and a Texas Rangers fan. So I have had no team championships uh, at the highest level in my lifetime. And there has been some significant heartbreak along the way. I am very invested in this Texas Rangers team and, uh, this three, one lead just cannot go away, Mike. It can't. Well, every team that you pull for, I pull for except for the Rangers because I'm a lifelong St. Louis Cardinal fan. And well, I know you hate you're, that you're, because you're what, a source of happened? some of that heartbreak then. Well, I feel bad about what happened to you in 2011 because you should have won that world series. Uh, if you had a right fielder that was a little bit better than Nelson Cruz, you would have a World Series. But that's beside the point. I, but my oldest sister lives in Dallas. She's lived down there for 50 years, and she's just as big a diehard as you are. So I'm I'm trying to help her get to the finish line this year. And so I'm pulling hard for your Rangers. Well, I appreciate the uh, rooting interest from a St. Louis Cardinals fan. I will. It, 2011 will hurt a lot less if they can get this done against the Diamondbacks. Well, they're looking good. So. I hope hope to keep it up. Absolutely. We appreciate you, Mike. Enjoy Bedlam. All right. You guys take care. Thanks, Dad. All right. Bye-bye. See ya. All right, Colby. The dust is settled. It's great hearing from my dad. Great hearing from Kim as well. Uh, the dust is settled. What's your pick? What's your score prediction? And how do you see this game playing out? I have gone back and forth about this uh, a lot. I was up till about 5 a.m. last night. We've got a, a, a sick one-year-old at our house and I was looking through some things, some old Bedlam games. I was on my phone um, looking at some stats from this year. And I just, I, I have thought so much about what I want to predict. And I really think that the history obviously is all on Oklahoma's side, but these are two teams right now in 2023 that are trending opposite directions. And I think that there is a legitimate Big 12 championship caliber football team taking the field Saturday in Stillwater. And I do not think that they are wearing crimson. I just, I love what Oklahoma state is doing right now. They come in with an identity. They come in healthy and Carson, I cannot overstate the importance of this game being played in Stillwater. That crowd, that stadium, it, it shakes for Bedlam in 2021. It shook underneath the weight of that Colin Oliver sack underneath the weight of that Brennan Presley kick return. And I hope that there are iconic moments Saturday in Bedlam, just 
like that one. And I decided, Carson, to just put my faith and put my hope in my Oklahoma State Cowboys. You, you know, you you can you can hedge. You can say, well, the history, all this and all that. You, you can try to shield yourself from the pain that's going to come Saturday if Oklahoma State loses this game. But that is part of being a sports fan is the elation when you win and the pain when you lose. And I think Oklahoma State fans are going to be on the good side of that on Saturday. I'm going 41-31. Oklahoma State topples the Sooners, wins the final regular season bedlam that we'll see for a long time. Um, I think Ollie Gordon goes for between 150 and 200, and Alan Bowman makes a few of those timely throws. And I think Oklahoma State wins the game, Carson. I'm I'm putting my heart out there, and it is Oklahoma State footballs for the taking. What was your score? 41-31, Oklahoma State. Ten points? Not even close. Um, I think close, and then Ollie springs one in the fourth quarter, and Oklahoma State ends up uh, being able to take knees to to wind that thing down before 50,000 people descend upon that turf. Yeah, no, I love it. Um, I've also gone back and forth on this, but I think it's important to note when you come into this game that Oklahoma State has been a completely different team once conference play began. And... If you just go by conference play alone, the best offense in the Big 12 is Oklahoma State. Oklahoma, fifth. Uh, Total defense, Oklahoma's fifth. Oklahoma State's seventh. That's pretty much a wash. Um, You just go through all the stats here. Oklahoma is below Oklahoma State in nearly every team category. And there's a reason for that. They don't have the blue blood type running back. They don't have the NFL offensive line. Dylan Gabriel's a fine quarterback, but coming into this year, everyone wanted to see the the, the hotshot freshman. Uh, He struggled a bit last year. He's been great this year. He's the reason they're going to win if they do win. Their defense is improved, but they've been getting lit up lately. UCF lit them up. Kansas lit them up. I think Oklahoma State will too. These are two teams that are very evenly matched, but have one has an identity. I love the way you put that. The other does not. Again, their their offensive coordinator right now is under fire for running a bunch of gimmick BS with his uh, end around sweeps. He's uh, he's running some wildcat. Oklahoma State is the better football team coming into this game as far as team. I'm not saying they have the more, the more talent. They have the best player. And Ollie Gordon. And typically, as we've seen in years past in Bedlam, that can win you the game. I, I go back to 2011. Uh, obviously, that was the one that was the one game in 2011 that Brandon Whedon did not throw a touchdown pass. But they had Justin Blackman on the field. And that's probably why they were able to run the ball so well, because they were so keyed on him. I think Ollie Gordon is the best player on this field. I think he proves it. I think Alan Bowman plays another flawless performance like he has the last few weeks. Oklahoma does not scare me running the football. So the way Oklahoma is going to win this game is by Dylan Gabriel airing it out. And normally that would scare me. Uh, The way he's played this year, that should scare us. But they lost their best receiver, Andrew Anthony, out for the year. Who on OU's team scares you going deep? I mean, they got some tall guys that are unproven. And knowing Squinky, knowing Bedlam, they'll probably go for 100 apiece. But I ain't picking that. I'm picking Oklahoma State 38, Oklahoma 35. Three-point win. People should storm the field. It's the last bedlam. And 
I say all of that, Colby. I cannot believe I'm picking that as I just a year ago, seemingly this week or a few weeks from now, <laughs> I was freezing my butt off texting you from Norman going, I am never picking OSU to win this game. I'm not doing it ever again. And here I am. There's just when I think I'm out, they pull me back in one last time for the last bedlam. I'm ready to get hurt, but make no mistake. If Mike Gundy coaches to win this game, OSU should win barring, you know, crazy turnovers. That's, that's my prediction. So uh, in relation to saying you'd never pick Oklahoma state to win this game again, which I also have said previously, and then we've both picked them now. Are you saying that unlike OU fans, we, we don't actually live in the past. Is that what you're saying, Carson? Uh, hope it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Um, this was a great pod. Thank you to my mom, Kim Powell, your dad, Mike Cunningham, everybody who's sending questions for them. Everybody who listens regularly. This is a big, big week. If you are in that stadium on Saturday, make some noise, get loud. If they win, rush the field, be careful jumping over that wall. That drop is further than it looks. Um, just, <laughs> just have a great time and enjoy it. Carson, it might be the last one. We, we've got to enjoy it. Got to enjoy it. Uh, probably is the last one for a long time. Uh, I won't miss the stress, but I sure will miss winning it. Should they win it? That's for sure. Yeah. The, uh, the wins in Bedlam, uh, I think have even been sweeter than the losses have hurt because you, you go in so many years expecting to lose that whenever Oklahoma state does do it, those memories are very special. I know for a lot of Oklahoma state fans, myself included Carson, great stuff. As always, we're back with the recap. Uh, most likely on Sunday, one way or another, we will come in heartbroken or we will be storming in here to turn on these mics. Thanks everyone for listening. As always, go Pokes!